0: I am transported back to Fiji, our years in Fiji. I love that accent, that British accent, similar to the Fijian accent. Um, the cultures are similar in a lot of ways, and the food's similar in a lot of ways, so I'm just thankful for Neil and Bernadette and their family for being with us and sharing their lives with us. Uh, one of the things that he said, he said... Um, He talked about, he gave me the title of a book, (laughs) the title of a lesson. I could do it right now. Beyond Salvation. I don't know if you picked up on that. He talked about what we have is beyond salvation. And that's so great. I mean, if you think about it, salvation is just the beginning. As great as salvation is, as wonderful as salvation is, and as sad as some people aren't even to that point, what we have is beyond salvation. And he just mentioned one thing. Going to the throne of grace, boldly through the, to the throne of grace. We're able to approach God in a bold way. But, you know, one of the things that we have that is beyond salvation is life. It includes salvation, but it's more than that. Life. And guess what? First John talks about life. <laughs> we're not going to be there today, but we're, I promise you we're going to get there, Lord willing. We're going to look at life in First John. And, that's, and, and what we are talking about today is beyond salvation also. You know, as I began this series, I talked about, uh, I asked you some questions. I don't know if you remember some of the the questions I introduced this this book with. I asked the question, where is the joyful Christian? And we talked a, a little bit about that last week, how people, how one person described you as a congregation as joyful. Where is the joyful Christian? The answer that one person gave was right here. And I I was uh, thankful for that. Where is the Christian who has overcome sin? And yes, as I thought about that, I thought about people who have overcome sin, who have struggled with certain sins and have overcome them. Another question that I asked was, where is the Christian who is confident, assured of their salvation, assured of what will happen when, when when they die, when they physically die? And I asked Fred if it's okay for me to mention him. Fred is struggling with cancer. He's going through therapy. He does not have a good prognosis right now. But I was talking to some other people this week, and they're like, what a great example Fred is. And he is confident in his salvation. He's not moaning and groaning that physically he's had some pain and suffering. But joyful and assured of his salvation as he struggles with his uh, life, his, his physical life. And so I want to ask you another question. Are you appealing to the world? Think about it. Are you appealing to the world? The world calls us. We often talk about the world calling us and having an appeal toward Christians. You know, there's a struggle that we see what the world is offering and as And it's appealing to us. It's it's uh, it's, uh, tempting, but I want to ask to switch that around. Are you appealing to the world? Second Corinthians chapter two talks about we are the fragrance of Christ. We could spend the whole lesson on that. It's a beautiful, uh, magnificent passage that talks about us being the fragrance of Christ, the smell of Christ. And if you're familiar with that passage, it says. Either when people smell you, we're not talking physical smell, we're talking about spiritual smell here. When they smell you spiritually, they either smell the the the, the uh, they, uh, they, uh, they they either smell life or they smell death. It's the same smell. You're giving off the same odor spiritually. I hate to use that, but it's, that's what the Bible says. You're giving off that same odor, but for some people, they smell and go, "Oh yuck! It smells like death." Now, some people smell it and they say, that's life. For those who are perishing, it says, the fragrance of death. But for those who are examining your life, people examine your life. They look at you, the people that you are around, and that you work with, and that you're classmates with, and that you're friends with, and relatives. They look at you, they listen to you, they spiritually smell you. And I'm wondering if the ones who have an interest in Christ... If there's one aspect of that life that you are radiating that is appealing to them, what would be the one thing a Christian could radiate, could give off, that would be appealing to them? And I would call it the appeal of joy. Joy has to be high on the list. Joy has to be high on the list as people look at you and say, that's appealing. I like what I see there. There's other things. I know that love. They see a loving life and they can say, wow, that's different. Peace. I think that would be very appealing to some. But perhaps there's nothing more appealing or if it's not more appealing high on that list is joy. And the reason is because the world places a high value on happiness. They want to be happy. You know, go out in the world and it's all about happiness, looking for happiness. And there's a correlation, there's a a similarity, at least when you look at it on the surface, of joy and happiness. And so when they look at you and they see joy, they will see something appealing to them. or, or, Or that will at least get their attention. Being right is not attractive. Being right is not attractive, because all that does is call to attention that you're wrong. the other person's wrong. No one likes to be wrong. Being truthful will not necessarily attract others. It will only expose the lie that they're living. So being truthful is not. Being biblical, biblical, and I say all right, biblical, is not attractive to the world, because I don't care about the Bible. Now, I'm not saying, don't put this in my mind, I'm not saying don't be truthful and don't be biblical and don't be, what, what was the other one I said? Whatever I said. Right. Yeah, truthful right is close. We want to be, and there's a time to do that. There's a time to be right and biblical and truthful, to expose error, to teach the Word. But if our truthfulness and biblical correctness is rooted in joy, it will probably be received in a in a better way. I'm going to skip to verse four, First Corinthians. Oh, First Corinthians where am I? First John, First John, chapter one, verse four. And it's a very short verse. We'll float, put it on the screen there if it'll come up. He says, "We write this," John said, "to make our joy complete." Verses 1, 2, and 3 are filled with lessons. We could go for several weeks on verses 1, 2, and 3. We've already gone two weeks on those. But the beauty of this book, this little letter... Is that it is circular in its reasoning? You know, if you look at Paul, he's linear. He says this, therefore this, therefore this, there, and he just is a straight line. And for us who are linear thinkers, it's easy to to see that. And so, when I began reading First John, I was really confused. It's like what in the world? It almost sounds like a rambling old man. Uh, you know, just to be. Not trying to be blasphemous or anything, but it just, it almost seems rambling. He just, he just keeps coming. But what it is, he keeps circling around. It's like a symphony, you know, instead of rambling. He's coming, he's, he's coming around, back around and saying, look, this is what I'm saying. And look, I'm going to expand on it. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it in a bigger way. And then I'm going to come back and say it even in a bigger way. He just circles around and he readdresses readdresses these uh, theme after theme. And so we're going to skip over a few things in the first three verses that we're going to get to later on. Uh, Let me give you some examples. Word of life. I could spend a whole lesson on word of life. Eternal life. I could spend three or four lessons on eternal life. Proclaiming this life. It talks about proclaiming. We've spent some lessons on that. What about fellowship with God? Fellowship with one another. All those are in the first three verses. We could spend at least a minimum of four more lessons in those three verses, but you can thank me later that we're going to go ahead and skip on to verse four. My goal is not to have a hundred lessons in First John. We're going to we're going to follow up on those themes as we go through the letter. Now, John John's desire at the beginning of this letter is that. He, what he's going to share with you, he says that it will complete your joy, that you'll have, you'll, it, this will make your joy complete. And that word I mentioned, I think in the first lesson, it means to fill up what is lacking. Now, whatever is lacking, you say, well, the glass is half empty, uh, then I'm a pessimist. If the glass is half full, I'm an optimist. And God says, no, I want it to be full, all right? I want your joy to be full. There's no question of whether optimist or pessimist, half full, half empty. I want it to be filled with what is, uh, what is lacking. Spurgeon, a great 19th century preacher, said this, Some Christians have joy, but there are only a few drops At the bottom of their cup. But the scriptures were written, and more especially the the doctrine of an incarnate God, is revealed to us that our joy may be full. Isn't that true? And so I want you to examine yourself as as we go through this lesson. Examine yourself. Don't think about anyone else. Think about yourself. Are you a Christian who has a few drops of joy in, in, in you? Are you a Christian who is, you know... Quarter-filled or half-filled? Are you a Christian who is, your joy is to the full? Because that's why this letter was written. John wrote 1 John so that you will have complete joy. Now I want to talk a little bit about the difference between happiness and joy. And there is a difference. There's some, there, there are cousin words, but there, there's a difference there. And I have a lot of stuff here. I'm going to go through it very quickly because it gets more confusing as I go along. Happiness is not joy, but joy can lead to happiness. Happiness is a feeling that is dependent on outward circumstances. Joy is a gift that is part of the Christian character. The word happiness actually comes from the word hap, which is an old word for luck. Just the situation that happens. Happenstance. They're all related words. And so when something good comes along, I can be a happy person. Joy, the word, the word there is attached to the source. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Happiness comes and goes. Joy is a permanent part of our character that continually develops and grows in our lives. Happiness is like a thermometer. It goes up and down based on the temperature around you. Just whatever happens is going up and down. You can be happy one moment, you can be sad one moment. Joy is like a thermostat that regulates the temperature. You know, there's nothing inherently wrong about or sinful about happiness. Sometimes people talk. Well, I'm just a joyful Christian. I'm not happy. Well, no, there's nothing wrong with being happy. You can be happy. We shouldn't be like the the man who wanted to get his uh, his portrait, you know, painted. So he goes to an artist and. The artist was really good. He he would sit down and he'd discuss your life and what you did. And so he could really capture your character. And so when the man said, uh, he said, well, what's your job? What do you do? He said, I'm a minister. And the artist said, well, in that case, it will be a very somber painting. Hmm. You know, we have that reputation. If you're a Christian, you're a somber person. If you're a minister, you're really a somber person. You know, is is that the reputation that we want to have? Happiness is simply a temporary state. Joy is a permanent fruit of the Spirit, and that will be a part of you forever. Happiness is related to pleasure, to luck, to to happenstance. Joy is related to God, the source. That's the difference. You see a little bit of the difference? Happiness is just whatever happens. I mean, if you walk out and somebody gives you a $10,000 check, you're going to be happy, probably. All right? If they give you a $10,000 bill, you're going to be sad, (laughs) all right? But joy can be the same because you're focused on the source, who is God. When we experience pleasure, we become happy, so the pursuit of pleasure is a strong desire. We have the strong desire to be happy. Conversely, joy is not related to pleasure. It's not something we can directly pursue. It's a fruit of the Spirit, joy. Something that is manifested in our life as we grow and as we mature, it becomes more evident. Joy is dependent on a relationship with God. It's dependent on abiding in Him. Guess what is another key word in John? Abide. Live in Him. And so we're going to see how this is all related as we go along. It's not dependent. Joy is not dependent on our circumstances. It's present in spite of our circumstances. C.S. Lewis said it something like this. It's a byproduct of living the obedient life to God. He said this in Surprised by Joy, his book. Joy is never in our power, and pleasure is. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted joy would even, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasure in the world. Happiness is cheap. Joy is priceless. Now that I've made The difference is clear as mud, (laughs) you know, because the more I think about it, the the more uh, complicated it it is, because when we're joyful, many times we will have a happy experience. But it's not dependent on our happiness. And one thing I I learned from first John is God wants you to have complete joy. He wants you to have your joy to the full. He wants you to be a joyful person. Do you ever think of God as joyful? Just like do everything of a preacher as joyful. Like the artist said, it's going to be somber. God is joyful. Uh, uh, Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. I'm going to give you a passage from the Old Testament and a passage from the New Testament. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take, listen, great delight in you. Isn't that wonderful? God taking great delight in you. We don't have to use the word joy to know that he's joyful there. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. What, what, word, what picture do you get in your mind with God rejoicing over you in singing? I thought of a mom, a mama, rocking a baby, singing to their children. That's, that's the picture that came to my mind. Uh, God rejoicing, singing to you because he's just glad that he has you. And then over in the uh, New Testament, in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd being God there, he says, when he finds a sheep, come rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Over in the prodigal son, same area, uh, uh, same part of the Bible, Luke 15, there's the story of the prodigal son. And what did the father say when the son came back? Let me paraphrase. He said, let's have a party party time. Come on, kill the calf. and Let's get in there. Let's rejoice. And the older son was mad because he heard the rejoicing and he heard the party. And he's like, oh, wow. Juan, I, I should have that. And, and, the, and the father basically says, I've always rejoiced over you. And now we're just, because he's come back, we're going to rejoice. We're going to have a party. And we're to imitate God. Ephesians five one. Here's a practical way of imitating God. Being, rejo- being a joyful person. Uh, rejoicing over these things. If you go to the Gospel of John, I'm going to read you three verses, three sections of the Gospel of John. Jesus says these very things, and it's right before he dies. He is talking about the, the things that he really wants you to remember. John 14, 15, 16, 17, all through that section is a long teaching where Jesus is making Some very important points. And listen to this, John 15, verse 11, and you'll see the similarity to 1 John 1, 4. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus said, I've told you these things, and it's about love, loving God and some other things there. You can read the context. He said, I've told you this so that my joy, Jesus' joy, will be in you. The Bible says, and we like to remember Jesus this way, he was a man acquainted with sorrows. Yes, he was. And grief, yes, he was. And he, he deals with the grief here in this passage, too. That is all true. But he was joyful. He says, I told you this so that my joy will be in you and be complete in you. Filled up. Then over in John 16, three little sections there, I put them all together. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And no one will take away your joy. And then he says, ask and you'll receive and your joy, what? Again, will be filled up, will be complete. And so again, he's talking about joy. He's, it, this, is very, this is as Jesus walks to the cross. He's talking about joy. And then in chapter 17, verse 13, he says, I say these things so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. He's praying to God at that point. And he says, I'm saying these things so these people, these people that I love, will have the full measure filled up with my joy, Jesus' joy. How do we get joy? We're going to hit this all through this series. But we're going to look at just briefly this. Joy comes in knowing. Joy comes in knowing. Joy isn't zapped on you. All right? It comes in there's something you do. And the key word, I think the key word, if I was to choose, there's about six or seven keywords I've come up with so far, but the key word in John is that word know. And I've said this several times. We've had some discussion of how many times. The first instance of it that I found is in chapter, let me just read it to you, chapter 2 and verse 3. He says this, We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So that's his introduction when he first uses the word uh, no. But at least 30, I've counted so far 37 times that he uses the word no, or he, he, yeah, that he actually uses the word no. Um, knowing, if you look at verse 3, knowing is tied to fellowship with God. Let's just read verse 3 We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. You have to know about the fellowship that you have with God, and you have to know the fellowship you have with one another. You cannot have complete joy without those two. All right? You can't have complete joy that John is talking about without a fellowship with God, and we'll, we'll discover what that means later on, and fellowship with one another. Fellowship with God without fellowship with believers is an incomplete joy. I've said this time and time again, and the people who really need to hear it aren't here. If you want to be a Lone Ranger Christian, if it's just you and God, I don't need anyone else, incomplete joy. All right? That's biblical. You can go off. Yes, you can be have a fellowship with God. You can love God. You can do whatever you want to. You and God, incomplete joy. You will not have full joy until you have fellowship with other people. Fellowship with believers without fellowship with God is a social club. All right? You can fellowship with people. But if you don't have fellowship with God, you're just having fellowship. It's just, a, it's just a social club that you're having. Part of our filled to the full with joy is in knowing God. And that's not only knowing God, that's fellowship, it's knowing one another. Do you remember my definition of joy? I've given it to you before. I don't expect you to remember everything I've ever said. But this is my definition of joy. And, and I've said this before, and when I looked at this in First John, I thought, oh, wow, how smart I am. <laughs> it just clicked. It's like, Here's, my Here's my definition of joy. Knowing a good thing when you see it. Knowing a good thing when you see it. If you don't know what you have, you don't have joy. That's where the connection of know is. Either we don't know what we have in Christ, or we don't realize what we have with Christ, or we've forgotten what we have, have with Christ. It's such a wondrous thing that God has given us that we possess in God through Christ that we lose our joy. or we, Our joy is not complete. It's knowing what we have. That's joy. So John is full of reminding us. He keeps telling, you know this, you know this, you know this. And and as I've read through it, I said, do I know that? Do I know that? Well, the reason I question that is because sometimes I have forgotten what I know. And so John's reminding, this is what you know. This is what you know. Joy is not a luxury. It's not something we take on when we have time. It's not something we're going to work on later. It's one of the spiritual dis- disciplines when we can get off by ourselves in an our isolated cabin and spend some time alone with God that we're going to work on the spiritual discipline of joy. No, it's not a luxury that you have to work on later on. It's a necessity. I can say it almost this strong. It's an obligation to God to be joyful an obligation to be joyful because what it is is an expression of thankfulness for what he's given us in Christ. And if we cannot talk about, if we cannot express thankfulness for what I have in Christ, no wonder I'm not joyful. Or if I'm focusing on anything else besides what God has given me in Christ, I lack joy. One of my heroes of faith was Watchman Nee, is Watchman Nee. He was a... um, Chinese Christian, born in 1903, died in 1972. I only know him through, my, through his writings. I hope to meet him one day. But in his very last letter from prison, he said these words. You know the chronic condition I have is always with me. He was sick, all right? He'd been in jail, abused, physically abused for 20 years. The attacks, of course, are distressing, but in the intervals, it's not so difficult, Still, I maintain my own joy. So please do not worry. And I hope you also will take care of yourself and that joy fills your heart. Last words that we have from Watchman Nee. That joy fills your heart to his friend. That was the focus as he sat there for 20 years in prison. That joy, that his joy, he maintained his joy during that time. And then he goes on to say, and I hope... You maintain yours. One of the things that he said in his book, The Spiritual Man, about joy is this. It's fairly lengthy, but it's so beautiful. He said this, Toward himself, a Christian should have a broken spirit. But towards God, it should be one of rejoicing always in him. Just think about it. I mean, you could could ponder on that. He rejoices not for his own sake nor because of any joy, joyful experience, work, blessing, or circumstance, but exclusively because God is his center. That's the, that's the source. God is my center. Indeed, no saint can genuinely rejoice out of any cause other than God himself. Listen, if our spirit is oppressed by worry, weight, and sorrow, It will commence to be irresponsible. Next, sink down, then lose its proper place, and finally become powerless to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some of you can relate very directly to that. When pressed down by a heavy load, the Spirit loses its lightness, freedom, brightness. It quickly topples from its ascendant position. And should the time of sorrow be prolonged, damage to the spiritual life is incalculable. If you allow the worries of the world to weigh you down, you cannot count the cost to your spirit. And then he says this, nothing can save the situation except to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what God is and how he is our Savior. The note of hallelujah must never be in short supply in the spirit of the believer. That's wonderful. I don't know if you can grasp in a quick reading what he's saying there. What he's saying there is like, he's saying, if you let anything distract you from God, good things distract you from God, the worries of the world distract you from God, whatever it is, the pressure of life will push and push you down. The brightness of being a Christian, the joy of being a Christian the, the lightness, the brightness will all be diminished. And if you let it go on and on and on, you can't be fixed unless you turn around and rejoice in the Lord. Are you having a problem with that? Are you struggling with other people? Are you struggling with the world? Are you struggling with sin? He says, bring yourself to your, your source, your center, who you are in Christ, God. God and begin to be thankful and rejoice in him and when that happens the damage that you've done to your spirit will begin to be repaired the three purposes are all connected three purposes that i found in john so far first john your joy will be complete that you will not sin and that you'll know that you have eternal life think about it this way to the degree we sin is the degree that our our joy is robbed The more we participate in sin, sinful activities, we we know that, don't we? And yet we still participate. We we get involved in things we shouldn't get involved in, and we know our joy is going to be robbed when we do it. To the degree that you doubt your eternal life in Christ will be the degree that your joy is diminished. I've never seen a happy Christian who is insecure in their relationship with God. Romans chapter 14, verses 17 and 18. The kingdom of God. Great passage. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves God in this way is pleasing to God, serves Christ in this way, is pleasing to God, and approved by men. I want to read that with just the word joy in there, okay? We're, going to, we're not preaching on righteousness and peace right now, even those are great words and we've talked about them in the past. But listen to this. For the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit, Because anyone who serves Christ in this way, in a joyful way, in a rejoicing way, is pleasing to God and is approved by men. I thought about how to paraphrase that, and I may be totally wrong here. This is the kingdom of God. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you are a rejoicing Christian, you're pleasing God. That's pleasing to God. And people will like you. Switch around. If you are an unrejoicing Christian, you're not pleasing to God. And no one's going to like you. <laughs> I like people who are joyful. I'm not saying happy. I'm saying joyful in the Lord. And so I want to, to, you to ask, and, I, and I've asked myself this question. I'm not asking you to ask something I haven't asked myself. And will continue to ask myself, what's hindering my joy? What's hindering my joy? Sin? Lack of fellowship with God? Lack of fellowship with others? Fear? Worry? Anxiety? Make your own list. We all need to look at that and say, what is hindering my joy And whatever it is we can say with David in the Psalms chapter 21 verse, uh, 51 verse 12, restore the joy of my salvation. That ain't be a great prayer. Restore the joy of my salvation. God, I want, to, I want to be appealing to the world. I want the world to look at me and say, there's something about you that makes me interested in Christianity. It's appealing. I want to look at that. What is it about you? The joy of our salvation. The joy of the Lord. Mm, Mmm, I heard the note. (laughs) All right, Gary's going to lead the song, right? Okay, all right, Gary's going to come up and lead the song here. We're going to give everyone the opportunity. We've written in blue cards, but if you need to come up and confess anything, talk to us, have prayers. We're going to invite you to come as we stand and sing this.